When my wife, Tricia, and I started our premarital counseling, one of the things that we had to do was we had to pick out the readings for our wedding service. In the prayer book, you have some choices. And so we went through the readings, we talked about them, and we decided that we wanted, as one of our readings at our wedding, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the reading that we just heard before the gospel reading. And I am, I am confident that many of you in this room who are married probably had that passage read at your wedding as well. But the reason why we picked it is we, because we thought this was a, a beautiful articulation from Paul about the nature of love, what love looks like. Paul says this, and again, we have the readings in your bulletin. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And it goes on, of course, but it is truly a beautiful articulation by Paul of what love is supposed to look like. But you know, I think it's important for us to remember that when these words were read in Corinth for the first time, because that's what happened, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth and then the letter was read to the church. When these words were read to the church in Corinth, I can assure you that they did not use the word beautiful to describe these words. I can assure you that when these words were read, there was no wife who turned to her husband and said, John, we have got to get those words in hard copy so we can put it up on our kitchen wall. No. When they heard these words for the first time, their spines stiffened. And that's because this passage from Paul, this beautiful passage about love, is actually part of an argument, an argument that Paul is making to the church in Corinth, and it is an argument that is deeply critical about their common life together. So in a sense, these beautiful words are a rebuke to the church in Corinth. So what was happening? What was happening in Corinth at the time Paul wrote these words? What, what's the context? Uh, where does this fit into Paul's argument? Well, this particular passage is part of an argument that begins uh, at the beginning of chapter 12, the chapter right before uh, the chapter we read from. And, and Paul says this to the church in Corinth, and I think this will pop up on our screens. He says to the church, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Concerning spiritual gifts, my brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You see, the church in Corinth, they prized spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is a, 
an ability or a power, we might say, given to us by God for ministry, an extra ability given to us by the Spirit of God. And in different parts of the New Testament, we're given examples of gifts of the Spirit, gifts from God. We're given lists. So we have the gift of hospitality given by God. We have the gift of administration given by God. We have the gift of teaching, the gift of healing, all these different gifts. And yet in Corinth, there was this one particular gift that they prized above all other gifts. And that was the gift of speaking in tongues. They thought speaking in tongues was the greatest gift to be given by God. Now, I don't know if you've experienced someone uh, speaking in tongues. Uh, it's still practiced in many churches. It's practice, practiced in some Episcopal churches. But, but when a person speaks in tongues, basically what they're doing is in prayer or in worship, they're in this ecstatic state in which they're speaking words that cannot be understood. Paul calls it in our, our reading, speaking in the tongues of angels. So Corinth, this church here, they had decided that this was the greatest gift to, to be received from God. And they, they felt that when someone was speaking in tongues, that it was this moment of pure ecstasy. And in fact, they saw that moment as an experience of the resurrected life. So that's what this church highly sought after and praised. And, and I recognize that we probably might not connect with wanting to speak in tongues, but I do think one thing we can connect with is seeking ecstatic worship experiences. I think all of us come to church wanting an experience, right? Wanting to be uh, uplifted. That's what the church in Corinth sought. They sought ecstatic worship experience. Now, to address this, Paul says two things to them. Uh, first, he tells them, reminds them, that uh, ecstatic speech, it might not be coming from God. It could be coming from a different spirit. So he says, remember that, church in Corinth. But second, I, and I think more importantly, he reminds the church in Corinth that they are one body composed of many members. And this is a, a famous passage from 1 Corinthians. And so he tells them that in the body of Christ, we're all different. And we all have different roles to play. And therefore, God gives different gifts to each one of us. Again, some he gives the gift of teaching to, some the gift of administration, some the gift of healing, and some the gift of speaking in tongues. But the point is, he says, is that none of these gifts are better than others. They're meant to work together. They are meant to bring the community together. So he makes, makes these two points to them. And then he finishes chapter 12 by saying to them, you know, you are, are seeking this one thing. You're seeking this ecstatic worship experience speaking in tongues. But he says, that's, that's not what I want you to seek. 
don't seek that. He says, I want you to seek something else. And it is a far more excellent way. And that is love. He says, if you're going to seek something, seek love. And that gets us into our reading for this morning. Paul says to them, if you speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, in other words, if in English you are eloquent, you are a great speaker, that, that is speaking uh, in the tongues of mortals. Or you speak in the tongues of angels. You have these ecstatic experiences where sometimes you are lost before the face of God. If you speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but you don't have love, Paul says, you're just a bunch of noise. And if you prophesy and have understanding, in other words, if you have a massive brain and you have a real gift in bringing the word of God to particular situations today, but you don't have love, Paul says it's not, it's not worth a lot. And if you have the gift, of, the gift of healing, we have a vibrant healing ministry here at St. George's. He says, if you have the gift of healing, and if you can move mountains with your faith, but you don't have love, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Or if you give away a lot of money, if you're the best, biggest donor in the church, if community organizations love you because of how much you support them, but you, you have no love, again, it's still not worth much at all. And if you give your body to be burned and uh, you pick up your family and you move to Africa to be a missionary and you don't have love, you are still unfit for the kingdom of God. You see what Paul is saying here? Paul is, is speaking to a church that is beset with jealousy. It's a divided church where people were not seeking unity. Rather, they were seeking to define themselves against, over against one another. They were saying, well, you've you got that gift, uh, but guess what? My gift, my gift is a little bit better. They were saying, well, I follow Cephas. He's my teacher. I follow Apollos, right? I follow David or Marjorie. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm for this. You're for that. And Paul says to this church that is divided, trying to define themselves against one another, he says, I cannot even address you as mature adults. I have to talk to you as spiritual infants because you're defining yourself by things that have nothing to do with Christ. I, I, I can't even give you solid food. I have to give you spiritual milk. And so he says to them, seek love. Because if you don't have love, you lack everything. C.S. Lewis 
he wrote a book called uh, The Problem of Pain. Uh, and the last chapter of that book is a, a chapter called Heaven. It's a, it's a great chapter. I commend it to you. But in this chapter, he tries to define or, or articulate what heaven looks like. And uh, he talks about um, how in this world, we are constantly, and we know this, uh, we are constantly trying to bolster our ego and trying to bolster our standing in the communities that we're a part of. And he says so often, uh, the gifts that we receive, whatever those gifts are, whether they're spiritual gifts or material gifts or relational gifts, whatever these gifts are, he says they often cause division because, again, we are all scrambling to get these gifts, the gifts that we want, to bolster our self-identity. But he says this about heaven, and I'll read this, and um, it will pop up on the screen as well. Uh, he talks about those who are trying to hoard their gifts. He says this, those who hoarded their gifts, they did not know the first rule of the holy game, and this is the holy game of heaven. They did not know the first rule of the holy game, which is that every player must by all means touch the ball and then immediately pass it on. To be found with it in your hands is a fault. To cling to it, death. But when it flies to and fro among the players, too swift for eye to follow, and the great master himself leads the revelry, giving himself eternally to his creatures and back to himself in the sacrifice of the word, then indeed the eternal dance makes heaven drowsy with the harmony. You see here, Lewis is describing love as this, this holy game where receiving instantly responds with giving. It's, it's to be blessed and then immediately turning to be a blessing to another. Instead of hoarding those gifts, whatever gifts we have, it is passing them on to serve as a blessing. When our kids uh, were young, one of the, the games that we played a lot as a family was the game of Uno. And I don't know if you remember how Uno works. Uno is a pretty simple game. That's why we played it when the, the kids were young. But the goal in Uno is to get rid of all your cards. And the loser, the, the loser in Uno is the person who holds the most cards at the end of the game. That's kind of like this game that Lewis is describing, the holy game of love. You know, love is the very opposite of a, a black hole, uh, pulling everything into itself. It's much more like the sun. Instead of grasping, there is this giving. And Paul, Paul says about this love, this holy game of giving and receiving, he says it will never end. In fact, that's part of our, our, our reading today. Paul says love never ends. It, it will never become old-fashioned. 
right? It's fitting in this life and in heaven. And it doesn't end because God is love. This word end that Paul uses, and in fact, uh, it's translated from a word called telos. Um, and telos, and we may be familiar with, with this word, it doesn't really mean end as in the end of the story. What it's referring to as end as in a, a completion or fulfillment. And he says love, love will, will never be completed and so Paul is saying to this church in Corinth, you were created for love, for eternity. And so he is calling them in this passage to begin to live this life now, to learn how to be a proficient player in this holy game, because that's what it's all about. That's what we should be seeking. Because we might speak in tongues and we might give our money away. We might have powerful healing prayer. We might have beautiful worship. We might know our theology backwards and forwards. But Paul says, if you don't have this, then you can't play the game. And you're not ready or fit for the kingdom of God. Now, very quickly... How do we enter into this game? How do we start this journey? Well, the answer is it's through faith. We begin to play this game of love by having faith in God's love, the love that we meet in Jesus and the love that we see so clearly on the cross where we see our God, the God of heaven and earth, giving himself to us, right? Our God, he gives himself to us. As John says, we love because he first loved us. So that's, that's what we're here to do, according to Paul. We're not here to be part of some institution where we come on Sundays or during the week to uh, get what we need to uh, and go back to our homes, but rather we're here to receive from God and one another and then to pass it on to each other. We are here to play the holy game of love and in doing so, manifest God to the world. Amen.